This is the Maga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 64. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Momoyashin. <sighs> oh my gosh, it is another news episode! No! But no, circumstances have tragically forced us to only cover news once again this week. But instead, we will have a new segment introduced on this episode called what, Community what? Highlights, where we'll be discussing some cool things that we have found around the interweb related to the anime manga sphere. Podcasts, blog posts, YouTube videos created by fellow fans, content creators that we really, really enjoyed. And so we'll get to that at the end of the show, and I'm excited to start doing that this week. But first, of course, we got a bunch of news to talk about, so let's get right to it. And I guess first things up, let's do some serialization news and to start us off we've got a new series that is coming from two creators collaborating together for a series in weekly shonen sunday we, that's right we've got the writer of kake garui homura kawamoto teaming up with takeshi azuma of denpa kiyoshi fame to launch a new manga called chrono magia Yugo no Hagaruma, otherwise translated as Infinite Gears, that will debut in Shonen Sunday's 49 issue on October 31st. Chronomagia, of course, being a digital card game from Gung Ho Online Entertainment. But they've got two very popular creators, a very popular series on this project for Shonen Sunday. Very interested to see how it'll turn out. I'm sure Bama will have something to say about it on his blog, and we will see. Yeah, we'll have to see. But next, we've also got a new manga coming from the writer of Saga of Tanya the Evil for Kodansha's Morning Magazine. In fact, it's already out. And this series is called The Strange Lessons by Professor Terror. It also runs in D-Morning, so it's a simultaneous serialization in two different magazines. And the manga is about a university professor named Tim Lawrence who gets invited to a strange club by a freshman student, and Professor Tim Lawrence saves him, and Tim's words captivate the student, so the student decides to join his seminar. And yeah, this is going to be drawn by Ten Ishida, and if you enjoyed Saya, Tanya, and Evil, uh, look forward to this manga perhaps coming in some point in the future if it ever gets licensed. Mm, I already really like the artwork. Mm-hmm. We've also got a new manga coming by Sankaku Head after he ended Umaro-chan earlier this year. And their new manga is called Made in Hikumuse, which is going to launch in Weekly Young Jump on November 8th. And the manga is going to be about introverts and maid cafes. And he posted a image for this new manga very recently and it shows a bunch of cute girls in maid costumes. And yeah, it's gonna be like Blend S maybe. I don't know. But a new series by Senkaku Head is something I'm looking forward to because I really like Dumarachan and I really like his art style. It's very cute. Looking forward to seeing how this turns out. Mm -hmm. And then we've got a new series coming by Sue Morishita of Shortcake Cake fame. Shortcake Cake was recently licensed and released by Viz Media over here. And now the creator is coming up with a new manga on November 12th in Spirit Union Gangan Online called I Will Be Eaten by a Predatory Heroine Within the Next Year. Which definitely has a lot of implications, some sexual. <laughs> in nature but it is labeled an everyday romantic comedy centered on a predatory heroine and a male high school earthling student hmm 
they go out of the way to call the male student an earthling, which means to imply that the heroine is not an earthling. Very, very interesting. But she's also predatory. In what way is she predatory? Hopefully it's not an uncomfortable way, because shortcake cake, from what I know of it, avoids problematic tropes. But let us find out at some point in the future what Sue Morishita's new series is truly about beyond this vague and potentially misleading synopsis. Wouldn't that be amazing if this guy was just suddenly being hit on by, like, this actual, like, man-eating alien? Wouldn't that yeah. be an amazing series? That would be pretty funny. <laughs> I would read it's that. It's like played as off as a romance, but she's actually trying to eat him. <laughs> she's trying to work up the courage to eat him. Yeah, she's trying to work up the courage <laughs> to confess and say, I I want to eat you! I want to devour your flesh! <laughs> I like her character oh. design. She's got a cool moon thing on her hair. I don't know, it's supposed to be a clip or something, but... It looks nice. This sounds almost kind of like Invade You, which, you know, it's, it's not completely the same thing, but it's sort of the same concept, except the genders are kind of switched here. I feel like Maxi would be a fan of this one. Yeah, hopefully uh, we'll see it over here at some point if it runs a long time. But the train of returning actors coming up with new series with interesting premises continues because Takuma Yakoda is coming out with a new series on November 26th for Kadokawa's monthly Shonen Ace magazine. It looks like they've left Shueisha, which is sad. But, on the other hand, I'm excited for their new manga because it's going to be a manga about people in the 1990s who play Magic the Gathering. Okay. <laughs> a graffiti manga, they're calling it. The title is Destroy All Humans, They Can't Be Regenerated. With period, after you said it. <laughs> this premise sounds great. And, of course, the encoded character designs have a lot of personality. And, man, I really want to read this. So hopefully it runs for a long time and someone licenses it. Yeah, hopefully. And Wizards of the Coast LLC is going to be cooperating on the series. So <laughs> it looks like there's going to be some tie-in promotion here, too. I'm sure they had to, like, get the proper, like, licensing rights to do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would read it. I I've only ever played, like, Magic the Gathering a few times, but the few times I've played it, I've, you know, I've had fun with it. So I wouldn't mind checking this out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's about it for, uh, you know, new series. And now uh, we'll move on to a series that is going to be approaching its climax apparently very soon. In the December issue of Futabasha's monthly action magazine, it was revealed that Kuyoshin... She... Try saying that five times fast. Somebody remixed that. Uh, <laughs> Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid manga is nearing its climax, and I, I said very soon, but I guess we don't actually have a date as to when the series will actually be ending. But all we know is, is that it's probably going to be ending soon-ish. It's on its way out, so, you know, if you're a fan of uh, Dragon Maid, you know, enjoy it while you can. Yeah, I enjoy the series a lot. It's sad that it'll be ending soon, but it's had a good run. And mm -hmm. maybe they can make a second season of the anime, which I will very much enjoy if they do. Mm -hmm. But, even if this series ends, there's plenty of Kobayashi's Dragon Maid spinoffs to enjoy for a while yet, I'm sure, so. Oh, yeah. For all uh, we know, Kuku Shinja will make a sequel to Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Who knows? I could see that. I feel like that's probably a possibility. Yeah, maybe, uh, Kobayashi and Toru can get married, and then, uh, it could be a manga about their family life. I'm sure that would make a lot of people happy, me included. That, that would be pretty cute. Um, but I think that's it for serialization news. That is correct. And now we are moving on to a very big licensing announcement. Yeah, so it seems that Funimation had announced recently that the license for Fullmetal Alchemist, the Sacred Star of Milos, uh, will be expiring on November 21st. The home video release will eventually be out of print. So I guess if you haven't seen The Sacred Star of Milos, which honestly, in my opinion, is really not that great. No. Uh, it's a pretty forgettable movie, quite honestly. But I mean, you know, if you're a fan of Full Metal Alchemist and you still want to check it out, you might want to do that soon. Maybe you should pick up your copy because it's 
it's going to be out of print eventually. Or not. You're not missing much. It is very inconsequential. I mean, look, I'm not going to say don't go see it because, like I said, if you want to, that's fine. But also you could be using your time on so many other things like... (laughs) You could just watch Conquer Shambhala. Like, I don't like that film very much either, but at least that has, like, more to it. Like, there's, like, more story substance and interesting ideas. Whereas Sacred Solid Milos is, like, a boilerplate shonen movie. Shonen it manga really, adaptation movie. It really is. Like, I had that movie purchased and downloaded on my computer for, like, a year before I finally got to it. And, like, man, <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but, like... You know, it was more Full Metal Alchemist I hadn't seen. So it was like, okay, cool. I love Full Metal Alchemist. I can't wait to see it. But I almost couldn't get through it. I think I like mentally checked out of the movie a couple of times because it was like, man, this is really not keeping my attention at all. The animation is cool and some of the action scenes are cool, but the plot is just not very interesting. No, it's not. And and they literally do that thing at the end where it's like they leave the movie only characters and make it seem like they'll meet up again one day, except they won't because they're movie only characters and we're never gonna see them again yeah i don't know why they bothered i don't know but hey you know what if you really want to go see it and we can't convince you not to pick it up i guess or don't it doesn't really matter (laughs) someone needs to make a good full metal alchemist movie already like there's been three of them and none of them are good what's the third one the live action one oh oh yeah (laughs) sorry i don't even consider that It really says something about that movie to where I was not thinking about it whatsoever when you said three movies. Also, this is weird. The synopsis we're reading this from is saying that the film's story takes place during episode 20 of Brotherhood and during chapter 11 of the manga, which is weird because that's two completely different points in the story between those two versions that's really weird i'm not even sure i remember at what points in the story either of those are honestly like episode 20 would be like in the middle of when they're trying to capture scar or whatever like episode 20 ends with like king bradley like attacking ling and uh Hmm. So, like, that's how that episode ends. It's, like, one episode after they kill Lust. And so, you know, that's in the middle of the action. How does it take place after episode 20? So, I don't know. Maybe this is just wrong synopsis, but that would be... Maybe it's a typo? Maybe. I don't really remember what points in the story those take place. So, like, I don't remember that having any bearing on the movie at all. But also, I don't remember much about the movie at all in the first place. So, I don't know. I remember them walking through tunnels. I remember there being a guy who could fly, I think, and that's all I remember from that movie. Oh, I think they were on a train in the beginning. There's a werewolf kind of guy in that movie, that's what I remember. Is there a werewolf in that movie? A werewolf kind of got like a guy who transforms into like a wolf-like creature. That's what I remember. Yeah, I don't remember much outside Yeah, it doesn't it. make sense if this takes place after chapter 11 in the manga, because that's like in the middle of the Laboratory 5 stuff, so I don't know. What this synopsis is on, like, how is this supposed to take place between a story in progress? I don't get it. It doesn't matter. This movie's probably not going to go out of print because probably nobody's buying it. Well, it's Full Metal Alchemist, so it probably sells just based on that notion. I mean, probably, yeah. I feel bad that I'm being so harsh on the movie, but, like, it's just, man, it's all just coming back to me now how much I just didn't care about this when I watched it. Is it worse than the live-action movie, in your opinion? Uh... How would you no. rank all street films? Oh, cheat. Okay, so I haven't actually seen Conqueror Shambhala. Really? But, yeah, but that's also because... That's also because, like, isn't it... Doesn't it take place in the same continuity as the original FMA anime? Conqueror Shambhala is the conclusion to the F- original FMA anime. Okay, so I haven't seen it just because I, I never finished the original FMA anime because I think I watched it after Brotherhood. And I just kind of lost interest, honestly, like halfway through. You know, it was interesting. I was watching the two simultaneously. Like, I started with Brotherhood, but then, like, I got really interested in just watching both. So I was kind of watching both at the same time. And I finished the original FMA first just because I was keeping up with Brotherhood through the dub when it was airing on Adult Swim. Mm, So I just got around to finishing the first series Mm. before I got to the end of Brotherhood. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, I watched both at the same time. And I like Brotherhood a lot more because I feel like the second half, when when the original series goes into its own original like ending there's a lot of things i really uh didn't care for that i thought just didn't work like there are entire characters that i just do not care about like lieutenant colonel archer or whatever 
the guy who like just some evil soldier guy who becomes a cyborg inexplicably in the second to last episode just mm. to wound Mustang, you know, just to appear after Mustang has beat King Bradley and then shoot him and then get shot by Hawkeye, like becomes a cyborg just for that one crowning moment. Wow. Great. But yeah, no, there's other stuff I didn't care about, but. Yeah. Well, regardless, I don't have any feelings on Shambhala because I haven't seen it. But if I had to compare the other two, like, at least Sacred Star of Milos is still, like, original Full Metal Alchemist. Whereas the live action movie, while it covers material that, you know, we're all familiar with, like, it doesn't in a way where it's like, hey, remember these scenes from the original series? Here they are in live action. And that's kind of it. It's basically a best of compilation of the best scenes from the original show. And it's like, well, if I want to watch the original show, I'll, I'll just watch the original show or just read the manga. I don't know. It really doesn't add anything to the Full Metal Alchemist experience to me personally. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the live action movie yet, and I probably won't because everyone didn't like it. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> But no, yeah, I guess we should move on to some more Funimation stuff, though. That's right, because a big shakeup has happened. The Funimation Crunchyroll partnership that had been going strong for two years is now finally kaput, which we all should have probably expected after Sony acquired Funimation last year that this partnership would not last because now Crunchyroll and Funimation are owned by two different entities. Crunchyroll is owned by AT&T and Funimation is owned by Sony, so obviously they're in competition now. And yeah, basically their partnership is formally ending on Friday, November 9th, which means Funimation is going to be leaving Verve. A lot of doves will be leaving Crunchyroll, it seems, as well. They will still, like, co-partner on a few shows, like Attack and Titan and My Hero Academia. So there will still be series available on Crunchyroll that originally Funimation only had. So you won't have to worry about subs for MHR Attack on Titan leaving Crunchyroll, at least. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, all license shared by both companies during their partnership will remain on both platforms. But yeah, so like it's a big shakeup because Funimation will now probably be, go back to offering like subversion of their own content on Funimation now. They had uh, just been hosting the dubs and leaving subs to Crunchyroll, mm-hmm. but now they're just going to expand into its into a like a broader service again. It's the kind of used to be before the partnership, but all the same. And now Crunchyroll, I don't know what they'll be doing in terms of, like, dubs, because Funimation was their dubbing house. So they might find a new partner for original dubs of their shows. We'll have to see about that, or they'll, you know, sub-license them to other Mm. companies. That remains Mm. to be seen. With Sentai joining Verb in their place with High Dive being added to the service to replace Funimation now, maybe they'll partner with Sentai's team to get dubs made, but... Who knows? Hmm, and yeah, so Sony wants to make Funimation a global sub and dub brand. So that is why Crunchyroll and Funimation have to go their separate ways. And it, the biggest uh, loss of in all this is going to be like shows on Crunchyroll that like were not distributed during the partnership. Like all the backlog shows like Cowboy Bebop and Yu Yu Hakusho. Those are all going to be gone from Crunchyroll pretty soon. So that's the biggest uh sad thing for people who you know like the convenience of Werve and like having access to both subs and does or just prefer Crunchyroll in general because it's like a free service if you don't pay for premium and you could just watch all the catalog shows but now you're gonna probably have to get both again if you want to watch certain shows like Yu Yu Hakusho or Cowboy Bebop. <sighs> I'm disappointed about this just because like you know I, I understand Funimation and Crunchyroll kind of breaking their partnership. I mean, it makes sense to me. I'm not, I don't know, I guess I wouldn't be too bummed out about it if it weren't for the fact that, like, again, that this does mean that mostly everything that Funimation put up on Crunchyroll was going to get taken down eventually, um, which, you know, there, there were a lot of shows I kind of had in my queue that I really wanted to get to, but now I'm not going to have the chance because they're going to get taken down, which just kind of goes back to, you know, when we were talking about the woman called Fujiko Mine getting removed from Crunchyroll so soon after it was just put up on there because the license expired. Mm-hmm. Like, I I get that they had to eventually break their partnership, but, like, I feel like they could have at least worked out some kind of deal where it's like, hey, maybe we should at least, like, keep the shows that we took so much time and effort to put up on the website. Or, you know, like, maybe just not add any more of their stuff on there. Like, I don't know. 
I, maybe that's asking for too much. Well, exclusive content is key, so I'm sure that a lot of, like, very popular titles Sony will want to keep on Funimation, and so yeah. Cowboy Bebop and stuff they'll want just taken out i mean i'm not looking forward to this because this means that there are going to be certain shows that were on Crunchyroll that if i want to watch legally i have to watch it through funimation and i've probably ranted on twitter about this before but i hate funimation's video player every time i use it i always have some kind of issue with it they've had issues with that video player since it was first a thing back in like 2009 like it just doesn't feel like it ever gets any better but it doesn't really like get worse either it just kind of stays the same i think the last time i used it i was watching yu yu Hakusho with a friend of mine and like there'd be times where like the video would just like stop and freeze and i would have to like exit out of the console app and restart it like multiple times before it started working again there'd be some times where like the video wouldn't even start and just just a whole bunch of inconvenient bugs like that that i i'm kind of surprised funimation hasn't really like looked into yet or i mean maybe i'm sure they have but like it just feels like they haven't really made any progress on on their video player in particular and that really disappoints me it really keeps me from wanting to watch stuff on their service I don't have as many problems with Funimation's video player, but it definitely is not as good as Crunchyroll's video player, especially the app. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the apps are... those are torture. But, yeah, you have until November 9th if you wanna... Well, you'll probably have a little longer than that, because I don't think they'll be able to take everything down all at once, but you better start watching all the... Uh, Funimation licensed stuff that's on Crunchyroll now before they get taken down. <sighs> yep. It was an eventuality, but like, it kind of sucks. But I'm hoping this means that, you know, Funimation will just be, you know, that much more motivated to maybe improve their service. Well, see. I mean, they are owned by Sony. I mean, is that is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'll leave that up to your interpretation. I, I actually, I actually don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really know what that means for Funimation. I'm hoping it means good things, <laughs> but maybe it won't. I don't know. Maybe these are the same guys that thought they could get away with the Ghostbusters cinematic universe. So I'm not really sure how much I trust them. Yeah, but now we're moving on to the convention side of industry news and starting off. Yeah, and so to start off, we had mentioned, I believe either the last episode or the episode beforehand, that manga artist Hiroshi Shibashi, who is uh, known as the author of Nura, Rise of the Yokai Clan, and Illegal Rare, was going to be coming to Yomakan uh, this November 1st through the 4th. But sadly, it looks like that won't be happening. Hiroshi Shibashi will not be attending this year's Yomakan, as previously announced, due to a work conflict. And uh, unfortunately, that is all the info we have about that. But yeah, so unfortunately, if you were looking forward to seeing Shibashi at Yomakan, uh, it looks like that will not be happening. So that is some unfortunate news. Mm -hmm. But Riz is bringing over some cool guests to anime NYC, including Masakazu Morita and producer Go Nakanishi, both involved in the K franchise. Morita plays the character Mishakuji Yukari, and Go Nakanishi is the planner and producer for the franchise. I don't know too much about K, other than I got the poster for K7 Stories when I attended the Viz Media panel at Anime Expo. <laughs> So that is as much knowledge of K as I have, just owning that one poster. But there's going to be some more K film screenings at Anime NYC, and there's going to be some cool guests in attendance. So K fans should be really excited for that. Additionally, Sailor Moon fans should be excited because Toru Furia is going to be attending a Sailor Moon panel at Anime NYC alongside Stephanie Shea and Robbie Diamond. So we're going to have both the Japanese voice actor of Tuxedo Mask and the English voice actor of Tuxedo Mask on the yeah, same cool. panel alongside the English voice actress of Sailor Moon. So that'll be quite exciting. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I can have a chance to attend that panel. I've been looking at the Anime NYC schedule and a lot of things are stacked up against each other, so I'm going to need to work it out with Wee Lord and Bomber of what we're going to do. But in related to Anime NYC news, something big is also going to be happening there. Oh yeah, something really big. So the Anime NYC staff recently announced that the convention this year will be hosting a world premiere 
of Mob Psycho 100 Season 2 of Mob Psycho 100 on uh, November 17th at 1 p.m. The voice actor for uh, Shigio, or Mob, the main character, uh, Setsuo Ito, will be attending the screening, and the premiere event will also show exclusive cast and staff comment videos and be offering prize giveaways. And in addition, Ito will be appearing at the Mob Cycle 100 panel on November 16th at 8 p.m., as well as uh, be doing signings and photo ops as well. So that's pretty cool that uh, they're going to be premiering that at Anime NYC. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to the next season of Mob Cycle 100. I almost wish I could be there for that. Yes, I know Velord is definitely excited for this, and I'm sure we will be in attendance for this if we can get it in if there is not too much crowd but yeah i'm looking forward to seeing the season to premiere even though i have not seen season one yet but now it is airing on toonami i will probably will catch up with that one and maybe binge watch it before the season to premiere at anime uh, we should really like talk about the manga for that next year or something because uh, i think that's already yes uh dark horse is bringing that out soon in time for the season to premiere next January, so that'll be good fortuitous mm-hmm. timing, I would say. But speaking of new anime on the way, we've known for a while that a, a new Astro Boy series has been in development, and finally, we've got a teaser visual, and we also got some announcements of when it'll be coming, and just some more details about how long it'll be. Based on a Planet Nemo, the Animation Studios website, that it's going to be screening at the, the MIPCOM trade show, which uh, it has already come and went, but... Uh, I have not seen any more information out of there yet. But the series is going to be 52 episodes at 11 minutes each. And the target demographic is more around preschool age children. And yeah, so it's cool. This is like an overseas Astro Boy show. It's different from the, a different uh, Astro Boy reboot project. It's also in production from Tesca Production. But yeah, I'm... Interested in seeing how this Astro Boy show is like. It's go Astro Boy go. Maybe they took inspiration from Teen Titans go. It definitely, it definitely seems like it's doing more to children because they even got Adam Cat in there. Never expected them to, you know, <laughs> dig up Adam Cat, but uh, here we are. He's in the teaser visual. But yeah, I like Astro Boy a lot, so always interested in seeing what a new Astro Boy show mm. is going to be like. I'd be interested in seeing if this gets picked up for like, uh, for maybe like an American broadcast on like, maybe like Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon or something. Yeah, Cartoon Network. They'll wear it at five in the morning. I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, look at Mega Man. They got a Mega Man show. When are they airing it? Freaking six in the morning. Great promotion, Cartoon Network. Wow, great time slot to give into mm, a Mega yeah, Man show. As we all know, a lot of kids are up at that morning willingly. They're willingly up at 6 o'clock in the morning and not getting ready for school or at school. Look, I did get up early in the morning just to watch shows. Like, I got up early in the morning to watch Pokemon some days, you know, when it was rerunning at 5 in the morning time slots or something like that. But still, it's not a good premiere slot. But we should move on to something really interesting, something I'm actually kind of looking forward to, or... Maybe a little mixed, but here. So, uh, it seems that Vertical Entertainment... Amuse Group US and Global World Television announced recently at MIPCOM that uh, they will be producing a musical adaptation of The Train Man, otherwise known as Densha Otako. Variety noted that the adaptation will be a half-hour series, quote-unquote, so I'm assuming that means it'll probably be a series that, like, you know, every episode will be, like, a half-hour each, or maybe it'll just be a half-hour special, I don't know. And Seems like it'll be, like, a half-hour series, a musical series, like, in the style of uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That's kind of like a musical show. I could see that, actually. That might work. And Variety, as well as Deadline, noted that uh, it is specifically a remake of the Fuji TV live-action series that I think came out a little Mm. while ago. I want to say 2007, but that's just kind of off the top of my head. I don't actually remember when that came out. So the interesting thing about this particular adaptation is that it is being... uh, The executive producers for this live-action adaptation are going to be uh, Phil Rosenthal who apparently previously was the executive producer of Everybody Loves Raymond, 
as well as uh, Tucker Kali and Adam Shankman, who I guess was the director of uh, Hairspray and Step Up. So some interesting credentials there, I guess. I'm not sure how I feel about the executive producer of Everybody Loves Raymond being a, a producer on an American adaptation of Densha Otoko, but maybe it'll turn out good. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if people actually know what that is anymore. So yeah, just sure, for those who don't know what Train Man is, it's, it's a really interesting story in that the original story of the Train Man is based on a very popular but alleged true story that began when basically an otaku who basically surfs the web and visits 2chan pretty regularly is basically on the train home or whatnot he ends up saving a woman from from somebody who is basically like harassing and molesting her on the train and basically after that uh he gets asked out on the date by this girl and uh it basically just kind of leads to him like asking for advice on the internet on you know, how how to go about courting this girl. If you've seen enough anime or whatnot back, like, 10 years ago or whatnot, I'm sure this has been referenced everywhere. Um, it's had multiple manga adaptations. I think it's had more than one TV drama at this point, not just the Fuji TV one. There's an entire episode of Gintama that's a parody of this story. If you've seen enough anime, you've probably seen at least, like, some reference to it. And... You know, the, the story has become so popular within, you know, Japanese culture that it has gotten so many adaptations. And as far as I know, I think this is probably the first American adaptation of the story. Maybe that's not true. I, I feel like maybe there might have been another one, but I don't know off the top of my head. All I know is I kind of like the idea of a musical adaptation of this. I feel like it could probably work. I'd like to see what comes out of this. Mm-hmm. I think it could make for a really fun show. But Train Man is not the only Japanese property that is going to be getting a live-action American production because we got a big announcement, a big leak that came out recently that Legendary Pictures is producing a Hollywood live-action adaptation of My Hero Academia. <sighs> I don't know how I feel about this. Yes. Really, all we know about it so far is that they are making this live-action film. It's going to be overseen by Alex Garcia and Jay Ashenfelter, while the editor of MHA, Ryosuke Yoritomi, will oversee the project for Shueisha, and the film will be distributed by Toho in Japan. Mm. It seems fresh off the success of MHA two heroes that they were excited to announce as live-action adaptation because... We can clearly see there's a big audience for MHA here in North America, and a live-action film would do quite well. And they must have had this uh, in the works for a while now, like these negotiations for an MHA live-action Hollywood adaptation. So Legendary won the bid, and we will see how it'll turn out if it ever gets made. Hmm, man, I really want to be optimistic about this, but... I just, I don't know. Like, I I understand why this is being made, like you said. Like, obviously, I mean, you know, not not just because Two Heroes was such a uh, success in the box office over here, but, like, you know, the franchise obviously is is obviously very lucrative, as we've seen from all sides of the of the franchise, from the anime to the manga, selling pretty well. I mean, MHA is like the best-selling comic in North America pretty much. now. I'm looking up credits for both Alex and Jay now. It looks like Jay has been the producer on such films as uh, the 2014 Godzilla movie, and as well as the Kong Skull Island movie back in 2017, Trick or Treat. As far as Jay goes, I'm not super excited about his credits because apparently he was the producer of Pacific Rim Uprising, which, God, that was such a boring movie. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I, I like the Godzilla and the uh, Kong movies well enough, but I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. this could just be me, but like, I feel like it's too soon somehow for a live action adaptation. Maybe it's not soon enough. I don't know. I think it's just in time. I think that MHA is in the peak of its popularity right now. So they should strike. I guess that's true. Top. I just can't help but feel like that's the only reason they're making this movie is because they want to make money, which I'm not saying is inherently a bad thing. Well, no shit, dude. I mean, that's what every movie I is know. made I'm, to I'm do. I'm just saying, money. like, I don't know. I I just hope that like when this movie is made, it's being made by people who like understand the property, people that actually like are familiar with it somewhat. I want something mm. better than like Ghost in the Shell or Evolution. Or the Death Note movie. I just want something good. I'm kind of burnt out on some of these live-action adaptations of anime at this point, honestly. Yeah. 
all the ones made so far haven't been yeah. very good. But maybe this will be the Iron Man of anime live action. I can adaptations. only hope so. Maybe this will be good and it will kickstart a new trend of good live action anime. Watch, like within the next five years, this movie's going to come out and we're going to do an app movies about it. And this is going to end up being like the Death Note movie where, where we're all excited about it. It looks like it could be good. And then it just bombs. Like, that's how I see this going. And I, I hate to be so negative about it, but it's like, I want to be optimistic about it. But I also feel like I need to, like, really keep my expectations for this low. So that's just kind of mm -hmm. where I'm at. I mean, I have no clue if they'll actually follow through on making it. Because the Naruto movie that Lionsgate was making is on hold who knows when That's progress true, yeah. on that will continue but we will see if this project comes to fruition in the next couple of years and how it'll do bottom line i i want to be excited for it i really do but i want the movie to succeed because i think it would be fun if there was a shonen jump cinematic universe and i think having a good mha film would be a step that would be cool that would be cool but speaking of shonen jump shared universes we do have that in the form of Jump Force, which has announced new characters joining the roster. Yeah, so uh, we have two new characters joining the Jump Force roster in the form of Kenshiro from Fist of the North Star, as well as Ryo Saiba from City Hunter. That is a new one. I was not expecting that one, but I'm, I'm very happy about that one. And it looks like also we, we had mentioned before that basically through the European trailers for the game that uh, looked like it had a February release date. And it's basically been confirmed that Jump Force will be launching in both America and Europe on February 15th. Uh, so we have until then to see how many more characters they add to the roster. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm pretty happy that they're adding more 80s characters to the roster i don't know how many more of those we'll get but i'm already i mean we have saint seiya so i guess that counts too and, and dragon, dragon ball. ball yeah that's that's right but no yeah the mere like inclusion of any city hunter at all just kind of floored me on its own city hunter is pretty popular in europe especially oh, is France. It? okay that makes sense i mean no wonder that they had him show up in paris in the mm. trailer like pretty on the nose marketing mm. there see I i'm surprised but i guess i shouldn't be surprised but uh, I didn't. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. I'm not that surprised about Kenshiro being included because you know he's, he's yeah. Even the people who have never seen Fist of the North Star or even like watched it or read it, like Kenshiro is still pretty well known in the community, I guess. But their movesets look pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm at this point. I'm just waiting to see who else they add. Yeah, I'm hoping for a lot more characters to be added in still. But it is. Nice that we do have a series that wasn't represented in the last jump game in here in the form of Ryo. So here's hoping we get more surprises as well. Come on, Nero and Basun. I know it won't happen, but come on. Let's do it. Yeah, I would not get my hopes up for them. <laughs> you know, that really popular Shonen Jump cult hit Nero that everybody in America loves in my <laughs> perfect world? Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're being, like, honest with ourselves, like, if any of Matsui's characters are going to get added, it's probably going to be Koro-sensei. Yeah, I would be surprised if Koro-sensei was not included. He <sighs> seems like a pretty popular, iconic character. Hmm. Yeah, he, he has a chance. But I think that's about it for news. I would say that I'm surprised they have not revealed any characters from newer series yet, like MHA characters or Black Clover characters. I wonder why they're waiting, but I feel like they gotta include them. I'm surprised that, like, if they have any My Hero Academia characters planned, that they haven't announced them already. Mm -hmm. That is kind of weird. And I mean, like, the anime for Black Clover, at least, is getting pretty popular, so I'd be kind of surprised if at least Asta wasn't included. But we still have a few months yet, so we'll see who else is going to make it in the game. But we have one more fun little story to talk about here, and that is... How an anime fandom has helped solve a 25-year-old mathematical conundrum. Six or seven years ago, on 4chan, on their science board, an anonymous poster asked a simple question. Which way is the most efficient way to watch every possible order of the melancholy of Harui Suzumiya's 14 episodes? And... Through the course of that tread, those 4chan posters figured out 
the solution to a mathematical conundrum that no one in the mathematical field had been able to solve for the last 25 years. And then recently, uh, mathematician Robert Houston discovered the question on the Matt and Science Wikia and tweeted about it. And yeah, it just caught everyone by surprise that, oh my gosh, this mathematical question that no one had figured out for 25 years was solved by 4chan posters who want to know in the most nerdy way possible, like how many combinations are there to watch every episode of the Harley, of Harley's first season? I don't completely understand the the idea of the formula is to calculate the shortest supermutation. Mathematicians hadn't figured out a formula to calculate the shortest supermutation, but the Harley problem has helped us search around. And then also earlier this year, uh, sci-fi writer Greg Egan made a big through by figuring out how to solve the largest possible supermutation. And it's very interesting because the Harley problem exists in this kind of nebulous space that mathematicians are hesitant to touch because it was solved by an anonymous internet poster and it isn't part of like the field academically, mm. you know, so what's the precedent for citing it and all that and people are debating with that question, but like this is a breakthrough and multiple mathematicians have checked it out and, uh, and uh, Marquette University's Jay Pantone has offered a rewrite of the answers proof for other mathematicians so they can actually cite it in papers and stuff. But yeah, anime has helped solve a math problem. Or more specifically, anime fans in their nerdy conquests, in their nerdy pursuits, have solved a math problem that academics were not able to solve for over two decades, which is pretty funny to me and pretty hilarious. Uh, and the shortest per super permutation to watch uh, all the Melancholy of Harry's episodes rivals how many times Yuki had to experience the Endless Age in Endless Eight because a viewer would have to watch at least 93,884,313,611 episodes to accomplish the task. So that's pretty funny. Wow. Man, what can't anime do, huh? Yeah, or what can't anime fans do? Exactly. They will inherit the earth. <laughs> I mean, if they haven't already, and we just don't know it. With this MHA film, maybe they will, because it will convert more people to becoming anime fans. Hopefully, let's, yeah, let's, we'll see. Let's not get our hopes up too much. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But that does it for news, so now let's wrap up with our new segment, Community Shoutouts. Colton, would you like to go first? Sure, why not? So, um, I hope maybe in the future, maybe this will... Give me the kick in the pants I need because I almost don't want to admit it. I'm not as active in, you know, in the community as I probably should be. And so maybe I hope this will like give me the uh, sort of the motivation to actually look into more, more things to maybe kind of spotlight on here. That being said, the first thing I want to highlight mostly because it is a blog post about one of my favorite manga of all time, Ice Shield 21, that was written by a Twitter user at SD Shamshell over on the uh, OGUA Maniacs blog, which uh, we'll definitely leave a link to this post in the show notes. But yeah, essentially, this user, you know, wrote a blog post about not just Ishield 21, but specifically a blog post about uh, Congo Aegon, uh, who is kind of one of the bigger antagonists in the series, and specifically about, as they put it, harsh lessons in teamwork. And it's just basically a um, sort of an analysis on Aegon as a character and how his, basically how his ego kind of gets in the way of his sportsmanship more than he realizes because he doesn't, you know, play well with others, obviously, and that's kind of his whole arc is him basically kind of realizing like, yeah, hey, maybe this... Maybe this mindset is a good thing to have. And he uh, so, sort of kind of grows out of that eventually. I'm kind of giving a basic cliff notes because I haven't read Shield 21 in a while. So my memory is a little fuzzy on certain events. But, you know, it's just, even as someone who hasn't read Shield 21 in a while, I still thought it was kind of interesting. And, you know, just in general, you know, anyone who writes about one of my favorite series, like, I have to give a shout out to, like, you know, Shield 21 really, it deserves more spotlight almost 10 years after its conclusion. Mm -hmm. Okay, Maniacs is a great blog and... It's really nice to see someone do a great critical analysis of Aisha 21 and explore like a character in depth. Mm -hmm. And now for my community highlights, I have two podcasts on the subject of BL manga that approach the topic from different perspectives. The first is a podcast by one panel later 
on BL, which goes into the genre's history, like how it originated, how it was made, who it was made for, and kind of the evolution of BL as a genre, and uh, Western fandom's perceptions of it over the years. And as usual, it's always a great conversation between Angela and Kelly about it, because Angela it comes from the perspective of someone who doesn't know a whole lot about manga so it allows for great opportunities for you know kelly to you know diving deeper into subjects and you know have some fun with the conversation as well so it's a really great discussion about the history of bl and then anime feminist did a podcast on bl manga but it was really great because all the guests on the podcast were queer men gay men hmm. which is really nice because uh, bl as a, a genre has been historically made and uh, written and drawn for straight women, but it does have value to queer men, gay men as well. And so what's great is that this podcast had a non-binary person and two queer men, and they discussed like how they were introduced to the genre and like what that meant to them as two people who you know, didn't have, like, an abundance of, like, queer stories growing up, but they were able to connect with B.L. Manga for offering stories that they were not finding elsewhere and representation that they were not finding elsewhere and what that meant to them. And it's great because one of the guests, Masaki Shimasumoto, is a Japanese person, so they, he was able to describe his experiences with BL, like, living in Japan and, like, growing up with it in Japan, and then how he had, uh, he struggled a little bit finding BL manga when he came to America in uh, his college years, which was very interesting. And, yeah, and so they discuss their experiences with BL, distinguishing it with uh, Bara, uh, discussing ideas of representation and also misrepresentation like be how bl depicts gay men and whether it does it in a way that fetishizes them whether it can do it in a way that you know makes people empathetic to them like they get into like deeper ideas of like is bl how like what are the positive influences of bl are there some negative influences they discuss problematic tropes in bl including like sexual assault and they go into a lot of just very nuanced and interesting conversations about bl like one moment that really stood out to me was when rai asked uh devin and masaki like do you think that bl fetishizes gay men for the enjoyment of uh, straight women and devin replied like oh absolutely but that doesn't mean that there isn't something to be enjoyed here and that doesn't mean that uh you know there isn't something that i as a queer man can uh, also take away from it so you know it was really interesting conversation like just on all fronts of like discussing a genre that means a lot to them but also like acknowledging that there are some problematic content but also that there are criticisms that you also have to take a look back and reflect on you know there's problematic tropes on a lot of media that we need to work and get better in erasing and because Devin and Misaki also talk about uh you know there are a lot of problematic tropes in media that depict straight romances too so those are also things that we need to address but just because VL manga also has those problematic things that doesn't make the stories less valuable because there's there's still so much good in those stories that can be meaningful and impactful to people and so we need to work on you know not including problematic elements like sexual assault as often but that doesn't mean you should uh dismiss the entire genre for having those problematic uh tropes so commonly mm -hmm. uh, and they also make a lot of great uh recommendations at the end of the podcast that i'm very keen into going into and exploring as well so i really appreciated that like devin had just so many <laughs> recommendations which is really awesome mm -hmm. so yeah i really really enjoyed both of these podcasts on bl because between them i really got a great understanding of the history of bl and i also got a great understanding of like what fans of bl take away from it and what the conversations are about the genre and like how different people perceive it that was really great 
And I'm going to link uh, both podcasts, of course, in the links, and also the links to Anime Feminist, Devin's uh, website, Queer for Danji, and uh, Masaki's YouTube channel. So yeah, check those out, because they're great content and great uh, conversations. Mm. I haven't checked out a lot of content from Anime Feminist. Uh, unfortunately, I really should get on that. They're among the many podcasts I've been kind of behind on uh, in the past couple of months or so. From what I've listened to of it, like I really love uh, One Panel Later. I think it's a really interesting podcast that really presents both sides' perspectives when it comes to like manga versus American comics in general, just as someone who doesn't read a lot of American comics but really wants to. I always enjoy the different perspectives, uh, and I also enjoy, I also enjoy the host's uh, back-and-forth banter at points it can actually be uh pretty enjoyable so it's always really funny when angela is like so flabbergasted <laughs> at something she finds weird about manga yeah i really like the show in general like i really need to get on listening to more episodes but the bl episode in particular does sound pretty interesting as someone who again really hasn't really delved into that genre of manga i guess at all i'd like to at some point just to kind of have an opinion myself mm-hmm. and that was our first community uh, shout out segment and we hope to have them on every episode from here on out but that about does it for this episode of manga mavericks all right yeah this was uh another news episode but you know there was another shorter episode so again i'm i'm sure our listeners probably appreciate those but yeah i think we could just move on to wrapping up and uh, plugging away at some of our stuff so uh lum where can the good people find you you can find me at lum ramayasha on twitter and annie list and animation revelation and wherever there's a lum ramayasha that's where you can find me and you can also read my reviews and a whole bunch of other stuff on all-comic.com all right and uh, as for me you can find me on twitter i'm colton at sniper king 323 i host a few other podcasts as well such as life lessons the gintama manga cast which is sort of on an indefinite hiatus at the moment but you know, if you're a fan of Gintama and you still want to listen we still have a huge backlog of episodes that you can go listen to over at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com you can also listen to One Podcast Prevails at onepodcastprevails.com it's a podcast about Detective Conan or Case Closed whatever you want to call it that I host with my good friend Doctor over at the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast so if you're a fan of Conan, definitely go listen to that. Uh, we try to record that show whenever we can. I really enjoy that show in particular, so please go listen to it if you're a fan of the series. But as for all comic and the podcast in general, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at all-comic.com first. It's where we post every episode first. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks as well as manga mavericks.tumblr where we basically post updates on on the show first and foremost you can also subscribe to our youtube channel over at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we essentially post excerpts from the show including but not limited to uh news pieces and discussions and reviews that we have on the podcast and whatnot so definitely go subscribe to our youtube channel again that's youtube.com slash manga mavericks um if you want to email us anything uh you know what, what what are you reading lately do you have any uh community highlights you want us to share on the show maybe what do you think about all the news we talked about on this episode please email us about those and anything else over at magnamavericks at gmail.com and we will read them on the show well the most important thing guys is that you subscribe rate and review us on apple podcasts itunes whatever we're calling it uh that really helps the visibility of our show so please do that if you so wish but that is gonna be it for this episode of manga mavericks on allcomic.com this has been episode 64 and we will see you guys next time for episode 65 bye guys sayonara <laughs> <laughs>